Welcome to Pluto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, opinion writer and columnist, and I'm joined by Metro Editor Greg Jefferson, Kerry Clack, columnist at Atoya Board. And, uh, and, and I think what's becoming sort of like a pattern, I guess, I, I don't know if it's like two times <laughs> is, constitutes a pattern. Maybe it's maybe, close. We're getting close. Does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to claim that we've got a pattern going where when we get close to an election, we introduce we invite our uh, today's guest. And uh, we're really happy to have John Taylor, professor of political science at UTSA and chair of the Department uh, of Political Science and Geography. John, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here. We've got a lot to, to, to get into, but uh, I mean. I think one of the underlying things we were talking about this just before we started is, uh, you know, I think if everyone who's watching knows that next Tuesday we have the Texas primary. It's one of 15 states in the in what's called Super Tuesday, and I think coming out of it, uh, I, I mean, I think things are pretty clear as far as the presidential race. But uh, if there are any doubts, I think after next Tuesday they, they will be those will come to an end. But uh, so so it's going to be a, a really big election day. But we were talking before we started the podcast about. How low the turnout is uh, in Texas so far? It's abysmal. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. Um, overall, let's see. For Democrats, it's around one point six, one point seven percent. For Republicans, around two point three percent. It's it's absolutely demoralizing if you're a political scientist who encourages civic engagement and encouraging people to get out and vote. Um, we're just not seeing it. Yeah, and it, it's so much. Uh, of turnout in primary races has to do in in presidential election years has to do with what's going on in the presidential race. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all remember in 2008, we had Barack Obama versus Hillary Clinton mm. in the Democratic primary. And uh, I mean, that was, there was a lot of energy, oh, yeah. really high turnout. Sure. And we've got presidential <laughs> contests that are pretty <laughs> much um, in the bag, if not, I mean, settled. We can talk to Nikki Haley about that, but yeah, they're settled, yeah. let's be honest. And so the result is, is that, uh, and don't take this the wrong way, this year's primaries are just not sexy. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I'm the nine candidates in the Democratic race for U.S. Senate might disagree with that, but we're going to, you know, they can take it up with us later. But um, that, I think that probably is the most interesting race in sure. Texas. Um, I mean, it's debatable whether any Democrat can beat Ted Cruz in November, and that's when we, 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 when we invite you back then, we can, we can talk about that. Absolutely. But there is a, a nine-candidate race on the Democratic side uh, in the, for the U.S. Senate. We've got San Antonian uh Roland Gutierrez, state senator, uh, and Colin Allred, the uh, Dallas congressman. I, th I think these are probably the two candidates that people are focusing the most attention on. And so, you know, right behind the lurking behind this race is is the is the turnout issue. And and you can you can talk a little bit about how you know what impact you think that's going to have. But when you look at, at Colin Allred versus Roland Gutierrez, how do you think this is shaping up? Well, right now it's shaping up obviously as a runoff. I don't think there's any way, shape, or form we're not going to see a runoff. Mm -hmm. The question is turnout, as we've mentioned before, but it's also a case of, of temperament and mm -hmm. the approach to this race. Um, Gutierrez is, is much more of a, of a Democrat, I think, who is willing to be one of a return, a, a, a fighter, mm -hmm. feisty. Allred is much more cool, more laid back. Um, and the question is for, for Democrats, do you want somebody who's going to fight the Republicans? You're going to have somebody who's going to really battle Republicans. I don't know if Allred gives that off as much as, as Gutierrez does. The problem with that is, is that how do you translate that into a general election um, versus Ted Cruz, who is going to go after every little minuscule point of both of these major candidates? I think of Gutierrez and the issues related to his, uh, his tax liens. He's a businessman, been a businessman for 25 years, but yeah. 
you're going to find ways to nitpick that. In the case of Colin Allred, oh, my God, he went to Cal Berkeley and actually helped <laughs> you know, do research on a book that's basically on diversity um, and, and CRT. So you're going to get that in the race. But between the two, I mean, I think one of the issues that stood out is the fact that Colin Allred did not vote regarding regarding. Uh, actually regarding what, abortion, if I recall correctly, or was it gun rights, one of the two. And so there is that little difference between the two. But here's the thing to keep in mind. There are other candidates in this race. There's a couple, There's a state state rep from the Dallas area. There's a former county uh, prosecutor from, from the Waitress County who will have an impact on turnout and, in fact, likely be the people to push this into a runoff. My big fear for the Democrats is that wash, rinse, repeat, you know, Hope springs eternal. Can you actually find somebody who will be well-financed enough and viable enough to take on Ted Cruz in November? That would suggest to me Colin Allred. He's gotten a lot of outside money, particularly from national Democrats, much more so than Mm -hmm. William Gutierrez. And you see, if you've been watching television in San Antonio, he's all over the air now in the mornings and the evenings for television news programs. Um, Allred is. You don't see it for Gutierrez. You see Gutierrez on social media. You see him on YouTube, but you don't see him over the air broadcasting. So do you think the low turnout helps if, if, if we look at this and say Roland Gutierrez uh, certainly has less money than Colin Allred, maybe his vote ceiling is lower at this point, that the low turnout maybe works to his advantage? It could, actually. Um, you, you think about, and again, not to do a, a comparison, but there is a comparison here. Turnout wasn't very good in 2012 on the Republican side when you had Ted Cruz, an unknown Texas, you know, solicitor general running against a well-financed lieutenant governor. What happens? Ted Cruz finishes second, gets into the runoff. He lucks out because it's a longer period for the runoff and beats Dewhurst. Could we see the same with Gutierrez? It's always possible. Um, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibilities. One would assume, conventional wisdom would assume, Allred eventually wins this thing. My great fear for Allred is, does he have... The, the fire in the belly to go after Ted Cruz as hard as you, have to, as you have to go after him to win in November. How important is location in this? I mean, already coming up in, in the Metroplex. Yeah, right, the Dallas yeah, area. yeah, and you have a much smaller base in San Antonio, yeah. which is what Roland Gutierrez has. That's going to hurt. I yeah. think that is going to hurt um, because, again, you know, you ask Democrats outside of San Antonio, have you even heard of Roland Gutierrez? The answer is you probably have. You've heard about Uvalde. That's it. Mm-hmm. For Allred, same thing. He's an unknown person outside the Dallas area. And even in Dallas, he's not well-known. I mean, he's well more, more well-known for playing football for the Titans and for the Cowboys than he is anything else. Um, and playing, what, college football at, at, at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, he has gotta, a compelling I, story. I think if he makes it to the, the journalist, he had to do the Jack Kemp thing. And you just got like to. Every other sentence. Is, when I was in the NFL. <laughs> <In> the NFL, <laughs> exactly. He kind of does it now, but though. Got, <laughs> but I think in the case especially of either one, we'll use Allred. Allred has a compelling story. Single mom, low income, basically worked his way up to where he is now. In the case of Gutierrez, same thing. Self-made man who built businesses and has been a business person and knows how to meet a payroll, unlike Ted Cruz, the last 25 years. Yeah. Um, Went to move to uh, U.S. District 23, which is a district that that, (laughs) – and look at the Republican race there. I mean, this this was probably the ultimate – swing district uh, in Texas for a long time. It would flip back and forth. uh, uh, And uh, because of some 
redistricting. It's, it's more solidly in the Republican camp. So I think a, a lot of the interest is what in the Republican primary because you got Tony sure. Gonzalez, who I believe was like censured at one point by the uh, he was he was censured last state Republican by the state Republican Party. And is you know is I think one of, is kind of a an interesting example of someone who's kind of trying to. Uh, thread the needle between um, what the base wants, which is, you know, that that sort of red meat, MAGA red meat, and trying to be kind of more of the traditional uh, conservative. He's got four primary opponents. Um, we had we had a couple come to the editorial board. One of the one of the ones who didn't come was Brandon Edetta, who I think a lot of people oh, are looking my. at because this is this is someone who's known as the AK yeah. guy. He's yeah. a yeah. super gun gun. Uh, uh, <laughs> Zealot, maybe is that yeah. is that That's too a hard? Good way to describe it. And he has more than three hundred sixty-one thousand followers yeah. on X, which I don't I don't know what that translates into votes, but I would be nervous if I were facing I, that. I'd be a little nervous. I mean, you could. I mean, I'm surprised Gonzalez hasn't gone after him for being a carpetbagger. He barely mm-hmm. has lived in the state of Texas. Yeah. That said, you know, Gonzalez has a couple of other, I would say, more at least traditional opponents, which he should be worried about. One was a former border agent. One was a former FBI agent. Yeah. Um, so what, is it, what does Gonzalez do? Watching his TV ads. He's attacking. He's doing a story of a, of a young woman whose mother and daughter, I think, were killed, if I recall correctly. Um, he's hammering the whole border issue, border security. Because they're making him out to be soft on make the border. Him, make, make, yeah. And that's, by the way, one of the points that the Republican Party went after Gonzalez on was he was soft on the border and border security. And, oh, no, he supported marriage equality one of a few Republican yeah. House members who did. Yeah. Nobody's mentioned that part. They're all mentioned border, 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 border. And what does Gonzalez do? He's doing what every Republican's been doing lately, which is to do border security theater. Go to Eagle Pass. Stand there with law enforcement. Show that you're tough on this. And at the end of one of Gonzalez's commercials lately, he has this young blonde girl that's basically the face of the end of his advertisement talking about border security. Huh. It's, it's just this whole emphasis on sure. about... I mean, I'm not trying to say scare tactics necessarily, but most assuredly, this this just insane focus on border and border well, issues. Well, that, that is the I mean, that is oh, the most the powerful. I, I no mean, I, I, we've talked to you know around the office about this, and I I just believe, and we'll, we'll get more into the presidential race uh, later. But sure. but I always feel aside from the age issue, which Biden can't really do anything about, other than just <laughs> trying to show people that he's that he's that he's fit. Magically go back in time. Yeah, I that's right. <laughs> but. I, th- I think the big issue, the one that really kind of hangs over him, yeah. is immigration. It is. There's no question it is. In the case of Joe Biden, and with all due respect to the president, he just he and his administration lost focus on the border. Yeah. They just did. Yeah. They missed what I think was an opportunity to talk at length about not just border security, but about the idea of creating pathways to citizenship mm-hmm. that – and to try to contrast it in a way compared to Donald Trump, who's talking about creating camps and and, and deporting 20 million plus people, for yeah. God's sakes. Well, there was also the thing where Biden and I think this is this is an example of what people do in primary races versus what they right. do in general elections or when they're actually governing, which is in a primary race. With a lot of progressive uh, opponents, he was saying, yeah. if you're seeking asylum, we welcome you. Come. Sure. And, you know, it's a nice message. But as president, I don't think he's really wanting to put no. that out there necessarily. And I would agree with that. And, and that's the thing. I mean, people tend to, to need to realize is that in primary races, Republicans go to the hard right. Democrats tend to go to the middle, to, if not far left at times. And then you move back to the middle for a general election. The question is trying to convince people that you actually are sincere about moving back toward the middle. Do you think any of, any of uh, I mean, Gonzalez is under any real serious threat here from any of these <sighs> opponents? If it was the old district before redistricting, I'd say absolutely he would be in trouble. This district, which is now a plus, 
think the last numbers were like plus 15, plus 17 Trump. I got my doubts. But even in the primary, even you think in the he's primary, a, he's, I think he's okay. Now he might yeah. not hit, you know, sixty-five percent or so, or sixty percent. Mm-hmm. But I would be. It would be a, a major surprise, I think, to see Gonzalez not win the primary without a runoff. Is it possible? Yeah. It's not Herrera. I can tell you that. I just. Yeah, yeah. I got my doubts on Herrera being much of a factor personally, but yeah. I could be wrong. I admit to being wrong. I thought the 49ers were going to be the Chiefs, so what do I know? Well, it does <laughs> seem like he's more of a social media presence than an actual I, He candidate. is. I think he very much is, and, and it's one of these things. I'm, pardon me for using this. It's almost a grift that he's mm-hmm. using this as an opportunity to then showcase himself, build up yeah. a .com. Therefore, all of a sudden, he's doing the speaker circuit stuff with Turning Point USA and all mm. these organizations. I see a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, so uh, Joe Biden isn't above border theatrics of his own. No, he's not. No he's question. He'll be in Brownsville. Kamala Harris, for yeah, yeah, exactly. He'll be in Brownsville uh, Thursday meeting with Border Patrol. Right. And presumably he's going to be attacking Republicans for, you know, sinking the bipartisan sure. compromise in Congress a couple of weeks ago. What does that tell you about where uh, Biden's head might be at? He's in, worried. In this campaign? He's definitely worried that he's looking weak, that this issue is not. People need to realize immigration and border security is not just a Texas issue. You're seeing this resonate in races as far north as New York, the race special election to replace George Santos. That issue came up in that race. Mm-hmm. So if it's coming up in New York state. Not that we have a lot of border security issues with Canada, but nonetheless, if it's coming up in New York, it's coming up elsewhere in the country. For goodness sakes, you've got governors from South Dakota to to Oklahoma and elsewhere sending National Guard units to assist in Greg Abbott's, you know, fight against the federal government, Eagle Pass. Well, how how much credit do you give Greg Abbott for his his busing program? I mean, like he he really (laughs) ratcheted this up over the last year. ratcheted up big time. The amusing part is he actually did the work of what what migrant support organizations would have done, which was to assist to get them to the right location. But he did it in such a ham-fisted way um, that he looks, you know, cruel, heartless, what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that that I think is a concern to me is just the sheer amount of money we have spent. He can make the argument, the federal government's dropped the ball. No, it really hasn't. It's doing its job, which is to interdict and to send people back. Their job is not to create massive barbed wire fences around a little tiny part of Texas where yeah. a mile down the road you can walk through <laughs> with no, <laughs> nothing whatsoever be you know, apprehended and then sent back. I mean, but this is, this is I think, a larger thing. Greg Abbott is trying to in- increase his national footprint. He just simply is. He's won three terms as governor. He has been successful in three landslide elections. Um, one can make the argument he's de- he's he's auditioning for vice president under Trump. Yeah, I was going to ask you about where you where you see his future. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I I mean, I just keep thinking Tim Scott is yeah. the, because I mean he's just working so hard for that VC <laughs> dog, you know. And I'm just like I'm, I'm almost feeling like <laughs> oh my god, keyword ridiculously. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, Trump plays this stuff so close to the vest, and yeah. you just never know. Um, I think Nikki Haley stays in the race with the hope that somehow Trump will get convicted before <laughs> before the Republican con- you know, uh, convention. Um, don't think that's going to happen. So then the question is, who does Trump trust the most, but at the same time can also use to his advantage? Well, while we're on the presidential yeah. race, um, one of the things that came out of South Carolina, which Trump won comfortably, won six, 60 to 40, and that's Nikki Haley's home state. But one but. of the things that came out, yeah, this is the, and this is, might be where you're going. Yeah that um, 
apparently like 59% of Nikki Haley voters said they would not support Trump in the general election. And that's... That's been consistent in, like in, it has every, been. in every state. Every state. Yeah. And so that's a, roughly, that's 24, you know, we're looking right. at basically a quarter of the Republican voters. How seriously do you take that? I mean... It, that's serious. Here's the thing that people need to keep... Let's, let's, let's do it the op- opposite way. If we were, we were using the Express News and we report that President Biden ends up winning the South Carolina primary 60-40 over fill-in-the-blank for Democratic candidate. We would say the president is in serious trouble. Yeah. Trump is running essentially as a quasi-incumbent. And everywhere he's running, he's getting getting about 35 to 40 percent of Republicans saying, I'm voting for somebody else and I'm not going to vote for him in the fall. Yeah. I would be seriously concerned about the number of people that are not going to vote for him this fall who may have voted for him in, in 20 or in 16. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess the question is whether yeah. when we as the months go by, whether some of those people come around. That's, some that's, will. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll pull out my wallet and lay bets <laughs> on when Nikki Haley will eventually after she drops out. How soon thereafter, after all the animosity, after all the name calling, when she will come hat in hand to Mar-a-Lago yeah. and then mm-hmm. acquiesce and say that she supports the Republican nominee for president. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just gonna, something, I, something I threw out a few weeks sure. ago. And I don't. Think it will happen, but just when we're talking about Abbott and and Trump and Haley is is a scenario where things <coughs> get so. And when is the Republican convention? In August, early August. They usually, because they yeah. come after things are so bad. Something happens. And again, I don't expect to happen, but Republicans at the convention realize that they they can't put them back on right. a ticket. You can't go to Haley. No, no way. You have an open convention, Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott. He's there at the end. Yeah. He's our compromise candidate. He is, he would hate me for saying this, I'll do it anyway. He is the James Garfield of 2024. That's what happened in the Republican convention in 1880. Garfield was a much, was a good, he was a good could have been a great president. He could have been a great president. And so yeah. it, you're right that he's in the wings, potentially could be there. If weirdness happens, and this is 2024 in American politics, so weirdness is the rule of thumb. What is it? Hunter S. Thompson once said, um, when the going gets tough, the weird turn pro. That's American <laughs> politics this year. I mean, Ron DeSantis is damaged goods. Oh, God. Ron DeSantis will be lucky to win re-election as governor mm. in 2026. Mm. Right, right. Okay, so I wanted to move to uh, Texas 121, uh, <laughs> which um, if I – even if I did not follow politics uh, as much as I do, I would know about this race because every time I go on YouTube, oh, I see God. an ad on behalf of Mark LaHood attacking Steve Allison. Um, and anyway, so uh, this, I guess, is another really fascinating uh, case study of of the division within the Republican Party now. Sure. you got Steve Allison, who's kind of a classic uh, Alamo Heights Republican, right. I think is it's fair to say. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's he this is Joe Strauss's old seat. He's very much in the Joe Strauss mold, um, fiscal conservative. But he voted for Ken Paxton's impeachment. And he also he's, he's got a history as, uh, as a school trustee right. and and voted against school vouchers. And so he's become one of the he's become an enemy to both Greg <laughs> Abbott and Ken Paxton, oh, yeah. who are supporting his opponent, Mark LaHood. Right. Uh, brother of former district attorney Nicola Hood. And uh, I mean, there's so much money behind Mark oh. LaHood. And there, I mean, the ads are always Steve Allison, too liberal for Texas. <laughs> Steve Allison is against parents and school right. choice. And he's also soft on the border and everything. That one seems a pretty flimsy yeah. one. But um, 
Apparently, what do you think is happening here? Apparently, Allison is woke as well. He's woke. Oh, yeah, yeah. those ads I've seen, too. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> it's just, I, I, I live in his district, so full disclosure. I am getting, in fact, Kayla Harris interviewed me about this yes. part of it and the number of ads, that, particularly the, the, the mailers that are coming out. It is a constant barrage between Allison and LaHood sending out this stuff. Just it's, it's a blood feud is what yeah. it's become. Yeah. And, you know, this morning I'm watching local TV. And I'm seeing an attack ad by Allison calling Mark LaHood a, a liberal because he used to vote Democrat at one time, yeah. voted for Joe Biden, um, and voted for the woke agenda. And then you got an ad almost, almost, proceed, almost succeeding it that says, Steve Allison, too liberal for Texas, hates and basically is opposed to parental choice, um, voted for the woke agenda with DEI by supporting legislation, voted to, to fund illegal immigrants which, by the way, was part of the budget that a certain governor signed, but we won't get into that. And who was the sponsor of that ad? Greg Abbott campaign. (laughs) You're seeing these across the state. Greg Abbott came to San Antonio. He He did. The barn door. This This is Greg Abbott and Ken Paxton separately. They're revenge tours. Is what this is becoming. For the 21 Republicans in the state house who voted against vouchers, they have been mercilessly targeted by Greg Abbott and by various third-party groups and organizations, particularly school choice ones, who have been just dumping on these candidates. Um, there's ads. Uh, the other race that's been in particular was uh, Kempel versus uh, uh, school, horn, uh, school, school Born, excuse me, um, out in Seguin. Mm-hmm. Same thing. The same exact ads, only insert yeah, yeah. insert Kempel instead of Allison. You're getting the same thing. By the way, Steve Allison as you said, more in the lines of Joe Strauss, but still a conservative. Sure. In fact, um, uh, Mark Jones at Rice, who does the ratings for Texas Tribune, has this rating of all House members and their ideology. Yeah, Steve Allison would be considered one of the lowest in terms of conservative. He's still conservative. In fact, he would be, he would be exponentially more conservative than the, than the most conservative Democrat in the state house. Mm-hmm. He is not some sort of wild-eyed liberal by any stretch of the imagination. But LaHood, Abbott, I mean, Abbott essentially is implying that, 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 that Steve Allison is a traitor. To, he's a personal traitor to him is what he is because he didn't vote for his white whale of school choice. Yeah, yeah. And you're seeing these ads in Dallas. You're seeing them in Austin with state representatives there who also voted against, against school choice. Now, when Joe Strauss was, was in the House and he was Speaker, um, you would find, you know, that he would get some of the same – criticism from, oh, yeah. from people on the hard right, but it never really amounted to anything when it, when you came to the primary race. What about this time with Steve Allison? It's changed, and I think a lot of it's changed because of the last few years, and in particular, the influence of West Texas money. Two mm-hmm. people in particular, Wilkes and Dunn. Yeah. Um, they have had tremendous influence on how the Republican Party of Texas operates now, how it shapes policy. I mean, I'm sorry. When you are censuring the Speaker of the House because he's, quote, somehow too liberal, <laughs> the guy who shepherded through anti-choice legislation in 2021 and 2023 somehow is woke yeah. and is now in serious trouble in Beaumont, that tells you kind of where we are right now with this stuff. Yeah. Steve Allison is your, your typical classic Republican. He would be, okay. I have to back up a decade. Here's your classic, moderately conservative, conservative, suburban Republican mm-hmm. that we used to see in right. the state 
who have now either gravitated to the Democrats or gravitated to independents because most have basically run away from where we are now for the Republican Party in Texas. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, if you look at what's happened to suburban voters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, say, Ken Paxton and, and Greg Abbott are successful huh. and huh. They, they, huh. they fall, what, what kind of, in terms of the legislature, what sure. kind of GOP are you looking at? And what, 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 what would you expect their agenda to be? Well, first of all, I should back up one second. I did forget one race. Mm. Yep. State Court of Criminal Appeals races. Ken mm. Paxton is heavily involved mm. in those right now and is going after the three female incumbent Republican justices. He's pushing hard to get rid of them. Why? Because it was all about the 2021 decision regarding regarding voting and, and his ability to prosecute, you know, voter, so-called voter fraud. Right. And because, of course, he can change the context of that court when it comes to any potential criminal appeal exactly. regarding his conviction. Right. Okay, setting that aside. The legislature in 25... Based on what I saw from the Texas Public Policy Foundation's 10 points for 2025, and mm -hmm. Abbott and Paxton seem to be really enamored with their stuff, um, it's going to be, assuming Dave Phelan somehow survives, mm -hmm. it will be as dysfunctional as the U.S. House is this year. Legislation will be lucky to get things passed. We have, don't forget, we have a legislature that failed to pass and a governor failed to, to push hard for school finance reform and teachers pay for goodness sakes it's still sitting out there yeah. we have school districts across the state they're going into debt if not potentially into default and doing reductions in force yeah. because the state is not fi financing them hmm. i you know here's the thing abbott wins enough of these seats he's gonna get some form of vouchers it's also going by way get an immediate lawsuit under article six or seven or article seven of the state constitution regarding school finance mm -hmm. And Ken Paxton, the same thing. He's going to be able to prevent any potential future prosecution because of, of changing the rules. But there's also something else in play here. Ken Paxton can now show, I have just as much bona fides in terms of conservatism as Greg Abbott. If I survive my, my trial in Houston, I've now well positioned myself for 2026, either against John Cornyn, more likely, or if Greg Abbott is already at this point vice president or president, I can now run for governor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Welcome to wow. Texas politics. I'm gonna... Democrats, congratulations. I think I'm you were to... not in this ball game at all. I think I might have to take a long nap right now. <laughs> um, that's a lot. I mean, to, that's a lot to deal with. Yeah, sorry, man. I no, mean, no. It's, it's, but it's, it's, this is. I mean, we go back to the Democrats. Where are they? The answer is, they have some people on the bench. Yeah. But they've been so unsuccessful at yep. getting any traction. And I don't know. Why? Sure. Why is it? <laughs> That's a good question. I think part of it is recruitment. Part of it is a focus on certain kinds of races. A focus on, to be honest, the leadership of the state Democratic Party. I'm not advocating it, but perhaps there needs to be revisiting who's in charge. Mm. New leadership, new fresh blood, mm -hmm. new approaches, more aggressive approaches. Texas is a is a massive contributor to national democratic causes without getting that return on investment back in Texas. That has to change for Democrats. You've got to start you've got to start recruiting much more heavily and, and literally flood the field. God help me for mentioning him. Howard Dean run everywhere for every race. Democrats have to do that and they're not doing it. And 10 years ago, when we saw Battleground Texas oh, yeah. coming to Texas, that was the, that that was was the, the premise. That's right. That Texas Democrats have been helping yep. Democrats elsewhere. Let's, put some, let's bring some of that money, Democratic money, into and Texas. And it's been forgotten. It's been and, forgotten. And until that yeah. changes, let me, let me note to people here, 
Demography is not destiny. If, if you're Democrats thinking, oh, Texas is now a majority Latino state, that means it's going to go Democrat. No, it doesn't. Hmm. Look at the border. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're yeah. absolutely right. I <laughs> um, wanted to, to talk a little bit about uh, Texas House District 118, which mm. is, I think, the one San Antonio area district that is uh, maybe in play in, in November. Play, maybe. This was, I think, a Democratic-leaning district for a long time. And through redistricting, it, it, it's, I mean, we have a, a Republican in there, John Lujan, but also with, with redistricting, it's, it's, what is it, is it, would you say it's a 50-50 district now? It, it's considered to be a 50-50 district. In fact, if you look at the numbers, I think it's a plus two Biden, if I remember <coughs> right, yeah. which makes it a purple district. John Lujan, I mean, he ran several times. I mean, he actually... Uh, it, one, two special elections. One, two special yeah. elections. Never got to serve because the That's legislature right. never met. Yeah. So he was a legislator in name only. No offense to him. But yeah. he actually got to serve this last time. Um, and I think Republicans are going to do their best to try to, to, to maintain the seat because, let's be honest, Bear County has shifted most assuredly from purple to blue. Yeah. And so if you want to have any sort of foothold still in, in Bear County, you've got to win this district. They tossed in, the Republicans tossed in a ton of resources in 2022 to make certain that Lujan would survive. And this is interesting because he he did vote for vouchers, but he also voted for Ken Paxton's for Ken impeach, Paxton. impeachment. Right. Unless I'm missing something, I don't think he's being targeted in the There's, same way. No. Maybe because they think we just want to have a Republican That's in there. Exactly and, he's, and, he's, <laughs> and he's maybe as conservative I mean, as we're going to get. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Mm. They know that, I mean, let's keep in mind, Republicans only have a nine-seat majority in the state house. Yeah. So, you know, do you take the Ronald Reagan approach of, you know, he supports us 80 percent of the time, therefore he's a friend, or are you going to go against him? I think in this case they're they're taking the Reagan approach. On the Democratic yeah. side, I think the two uh, candidates who we've been looking at are Christian Carranza, mm-hmm. uh, who's you know who's worked on a bunch of Democratic campaigns sure. as a, a consultant. She worked on I think on Julian uh, mm-hmm. Castro's right. presidential uh, campaign. Um, just has a, a series of races that she's uh, Gina Ortiz Jones other, and others, and then she's going up against Carlos Quesada, who's a former uh, district court judge. Th- what what stands out to me about this is that it seems like the kind of old school Democrats yeah. are getting behind Quesada. You're seeing, you're seeing Nelson Wolf, Tommy Atkinson. You're seeing uh, Joe Farias, who was a former uh, state representative in that district. On Christian Carranza's side, it's like the young progressive activists. How does that play out? Who turns out? It's yeah. the biggest question. And no offense, no offense to my students who are listening, um, younger voters don't turn out as much. So unless you're going to get younger turnout and in particular attract younger, more progressive voters, which was the problem the last time in this district, plus the special election in this district, you got to think that the old school candidate's going to win. Hmm. Would uh, what chances would you give either of them against uh, Lujan? I think they got a good chance. Yeah. The reason why again is because it's such a marginal district. Um, I mean. Again, how well well known actually is John Lujan in his time as state rep? I mean, and I, don't know, I just you got to think if the Democrats are ever going to have a shot at capturing the state house, they've got to go after marginal districts like this. Mm. They've got to target these things. And again, this to me is is low hanging fruit compared to districts. I mean, compared to say, oh, I don't know. Um, maybe to our north in the, in the San Marcos or Hayes County area where you might have, you might think you have a better shot. No, this district I think is one where you really have a shot at capturing what, what was a Democratic seat, now Republican, back to Democrat. 
Uh, I want to just briefly mention uh, another uh, local race that's interesting, which is uh, a Precinct 1 County Commissioner, oh, yeah. Rebecca Conflores. <laughs> and what, what stands out, uh, I think, to us on that one is just that it's, it's, it's a little unusual to have, I, I mean, I have, how many? Uh, five, five, I think. Five, yeah. yeah. It's a little unusual to have for an incumbent to have yeah. that many challengers. Um, what do, what do you I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, that she, she went from relative unknown to incumbent. Mm-hmm. Um, she beat the field. Um, and she did it with almost no money. Yeah. And, and she seems to be doing well in her role as a county commissioner. The question is, with five people, she's going to get forced to a runoff, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't see any other way at this Is point. this all about the fact that she's just in her first term? Yeah. And the thinking is, it's like, it. if, you're, if you're ever going to take her out. Now is the time now to do it. After she, after she took out the guy. That's exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there is something to be said for that <laughs> in Texas right. politics, particularly in local politics, that if you're going to do it, you got to do it that first go around. Otherwise, they're going to be there for the next, yeah, next twenty to thirty years. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of Nelson Wolf. <laughs> and it doesn't look like there are any like, uh, uh, you know, issues that are separating anybody. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's just like all yeah. it's personality. It's, it's, yeah. it's personality. It's the fact that she's young too. Let, let's be honest. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, uh, we did mention a little uh, the presidential race. I just want to kind of get your thoughts uh, because we're going to be hearing so much. We already have about <laughs> about Biden and the. I mean, we're, look, we're 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 likely to have. Uh, an 81-year-old president running against a 78-year-old yeah. former president uh, who's challenging him. Um, I mean, this is this is uncharted territory it's, for us. Yeah. Um, it, I, I guess what I what I was curious about getting your take on is if you're looking at it from a Democratic perspective, would it have been beneficial to Democrats for him to have said, "I came in, I was a bridge right. to the next generation." serving one term, I'm getting out, I'm going to be the statesman. Would that have created more chaos, or is this situation that they're in more problematic? I mean, if he was going to do it, he should have done it after the 2022 midterms to give Democrats enough time to prepare. Yeah, We're in a situation now where he is a nominee, whether Democrats like it or not. He just is, at 81 years old. A spry 81, but nonetheless, 81 years old. I'd like to be in that good a shape at 81. (laughs) I doubt I will be. Um, But Again, we're in a situation where essentially we're moving into gerontocracy territory, yep. um, ruled by, by old people. No offense to old people. I'm getting there. Um, it, would have, it, it, it would have been, I think, a service to the country had he done that. But he didn't do it. And he didn't do it for a variety of reasons, I think, both personal and political. The political was is that I'm not sure he was prepared to have a Democratic primary fight with the vice president. Mm-hmm. Gavin Newsom and everybody else is going to join in yeah. and create a division to the point that the Democratic Party would have been weakened by whomever was the nominee going into 24 versus Trump. Could they weather the storm versus Trump? And maybe he thought, you know what? I did it once already. I can handle it again. I can handle this guy. I think he thinks he can. By the way, I think he can too. That said, I, th- I think we have to be prepared and not to sound morbid or anything, you know, were he to win re-election, I, I have serious doubts he makes it to the end of a second term. So now we have to prepare for the transition to new leadership. This is for Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. where she's being much more visible. She's being much more policy-focused. There is, I think, a move on on the part of the Biden people to say, look, she's ready on day, use that phrase, ready on day one yeah. if she were to become president. She, uh, there's been a great disservice, I think, done by the Biden administration, Biden especially, not to put her more in, in, up front when it comes to policy and their policy agenda. 
I, okay, and to me, the thing is for them is to is to get to reelection, and and right. and I think from there, well, I think by what you think should have happened in 2022. Oh. I think it happened in 2026. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the ongoing debate about Biden's age by journalists and by a lot of, a lot of Democrats. As you said, if, if this is going to happen, it should have happened before. Yeah. Because now you have a, they, and they never really lay it out, how are we going to do this? Now, there's a great bench. I mean, you've got Whitmer, you've got Newsom, you've got Shapiro, you've got oh, Warnock. Yeah. But everyone that always mentioned these, they always ignore Vice President Harris. Yeah. So I don't see the – I mean, I just don't understand how this, the thinking is. Well, you're not going to have a complete mess, and you're going to piss off a <laughs> lot. You're going to piss off the biggest, most loyal That's constituency, right. uh, black women. I mean, That's the right. only person, the only way you can do this, <laughs> the only way you can do this is to bring Michelle Bingo. Obama exactly <laughs> right. into this. I, would not I, mean, I don't think that's going to happen. It's yeah. not going to happen. I don't <laughs> think she is interested. Yeah, Michelle Obama versus Greg Abbott. Oh, my God. That would be insane. (laughs) Here's the thing that we don't think about. The other side, the guy that's going to be 78 years old with 90-plus indictments. I mean, he's showing, at least from what you can see on videos, showing decided issues of of every speech of dementia. And yet that's being pushed forward. He projects more energy. I think Biden seems more frail to people. I think that's the difference. I agree. But it's – one okay. rides the bike, the other we celebrate because he can, yeah, he can. drink a glass oh, of water. Exactly. Um, but, you, you know, you, you, you watch Trump's speeches especially. Yeah. It's just becoming at times nonsensical. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's like, okay, people are going to not get this unless they're old. Um, Chauncey Garnier. Um, <laughs> oh, being like, there. From being there where he's <laughs> essentially using – you know, various phrases and ideas about the garden and such. Yeah. That's almost becoming Trump now. Chauncey uh, <laughs> was much smarter. It's, well, I don't disagree. <laughs> I think he was much I think, I think, uh, I think he, he was, yeah. He was more concise. More concise. concise. That, that is, yeah. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, there is, I think, uh, rightly so, a worry about either one of them being elected. But here we are. And we are going to end up in an election that's going to be like 2016 in the yeah. respect that you're going to have high negatives for both candidates. Yeah. And I'm old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan running for re-election at 73 70, yeah, was having to answer old. questions yeah. about, is he too old? <laughs> is he too old? <laughs> yeah, is, is he? And here we are in our 80s. Oh, my maybe God. That's, maybe, that's, maybe that's a good thing as in showing how much more health has improved in this country, in particular life expectancy in the United States. Yeah. There we go. That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> John, thank you so much for being Pleasure. on the podcast. We really thank enjoyed you. it. And everyone, uh, if you haven't had a chance to get out and vote, please do so. Uh, bring those turn, low turnout numbers up a little bit. And uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, I think we're, the plan is to do like a wrap-up of, of, of next week's results. So anyway, hope you all are doing well. And uh, we'll be back next week. And happy Take birthday care. to my mama. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How old? 83. Oh, well. <laughs>